Today, we are two weeks away from a new year. Praise God, right? Wait, the January 1st is in a couple of months. And it's, a, it's a couple of months away, but no, no, no. We're two, two weeks away from a new liturgical year. Advent, first week of Advent every year, starts off the calendar anew. So maybe, just maybe, 2020 will stop at Advent New Year, right? That would be great. That would be wonderful. Please, the Lord, bless us. Um, but regardless, we're, we're on our way. We're at the end of the liturgical year right now. In the liturgical year, as we wrap up, it always comes to this point of the last few weeks. The last, the last few weeks of this liturgical year, we, we hear about preparation for the next life. Preparation for our death. Preparation for the coming of Christ. Preparation for what awaits us beyond this world. A couple of weeks ago, we had, it, it just happened to be All Saints Day fell, right, on a Sunday. And we got to hear about what the goal is. Last week, we heard about the ten virgins who were, half of them were prepared for the coming of the bridegroom, and the other half, not so much. So half made it into the, the bridal party, and the other half were sent away in darkness. This week, we have another one of these kind of stories that teach us something about life beyond this world. As I, as I pray with this image, and, and it's one of my favorite scriptures, it, it had a, a big impact on me when I was discerning as a, as a young man. This, this is one of my favorite scriptures when it comes to this, but I think we need to break it open to understand it better. There was an image as I was kind of reflecting that came out that, that I, I remember someone once using said, um, there was once this town that had a factory in it. And this town that had this factory, all the people in the town worked at this factory. And they were a diligent workforce. They were at work on time every day. They, they stayed overtime if they had to. They, they were a good, diligent workforce. This factory was a boot factory. Made boots, right? Had the, had the state-of-the-art equipment for making boots, had all of the stuff you would need. It had every, all the good machinery. Everything worked well. It was a good factory with good workers. And then, every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of every week, you had the best raw materials being dropped off. On Monday, the best rubber in the world would be dropped off for the sole of the shoes. On Tuesday, the best the best. Uh, twine or, or, or stitching or, or thread would come in that would serve as its laces and it would hold the whole thing together. On Wednesday, the best, of the, le the best leather in the world would show up every Wednesday. Truckloads and truckloads of the best raw material every week would come into this factory. At the end of the year, when looking at this factory, the manager stood up to his board and just bragged on everything that he had. A good workforce. Good, good equipment. Good material. And someone asked him, said, how many boots have you made and sold? And he said, none. I think if, if you and I are, would, I think all of us would agree that that factory is an absolute failure. Despite having the best workforce. Despite having the best equipment. And despite having the best raw material, because it's not producing what it's built to produce, right? That story makes me think that the manager is our third servant. Let me explain. 
When Jesus is giving this, this explanation, when he's giving this parable to his disciples, and he says, a man went off, a, a landowner went off. So this is also said in St. Luke's Gospel. They both say it, and they both add a couple of different words. They might have a little bit different phrasing because it's two people telling the same story. Well, St. Luke includes in it, he says that a man went off to see about being a king, to see about claiming his kingship. Now, if he went off to claim his kingship, he had followers as a king. Now, there's some, just bear with me here, because there's some details that we've got to kind of dive into. In this, in this corner of the world at this time, if someone would go off to claim their kingship, claim their, claim their position as a king, they were a man of influence. He was a man of influence. He had servants. He had money. So he went off to claim being a king. When people claimed being a king, usually other people were also trying to claim being that said king. Right? If there was a vacant place and I could claim to my kingship, someone else is probably trying to claim it as well. And a lot of times that would cause tension. And that tension would either be political argument, sometimes would be fighting, sometimes assassinations would take place. And whenever you, if someone would die in this, they would then turn around and go and wipe out and take over where this person was. The reason why we have to remember that is because the servants, even though the master's not there, has some skin in the game. Because if they're good servants and he claims his kingship, well, I'm going to be powerful in his kingdom. But if he dies, and I've been a loyal servant to him, I'm going to be next on that hit list. Follow me? So when we hear about this, that this master goes off, he leaves his possessions with his servants. He says, I want you to continue to cultivate commerce. I want you to continue making me money. I want you to continue running my business back at home. So he pulls three of them aside and he says, to you I give five talents, to you I give two talents, and to the final one, I give you one talent. Now when we're talking about talents, it's where we get our word talent, where you can play a violin, you can play the piano, you can draw, you can podcast, those kind of things. We, we, we have that kind of talent, sure. But it comes from this word and it meant 15 to 20 years wages. 15 to 20 years of wages is one talent. So I'm going to put some numbers to it. The average, let's say the average uh, year's wage in the United States today is $50,000, according to Google. Just letting you, letting you know, right? Um, multiply that times 20, that's a million dollars. So he looks at his three servants. And he says, to you I give $5 million, to you I give $2 million, and to you I give $1 million. The first two, they go off and they do exactly what he says. Risking themselves, because if he doesn't come back, remember, they're in danger. The third one takes what his master has given him, takes all of the good that he has been given, if you will, the, the, all of the raw material, all of the best workforce, and all of the best equipment, and he buries it. Because he's afraid. We hear about it. He, he buries it because of his fear. 
The first two double it. The first two do so well. They take what they have been given, put it to use, and they bear more, more of a reward. The third one buries it. When Jesus is speaking this, this parable to His disciples, His disciples are understanding it, but they don't realize that they are going to be the third, most of them are going to be the third servant in a couple of chapters in the Bible. Most of them are going to bail on Jesus. They've been given so much. They've been following Him around for three years at this point. This is the end of His public ministry. He's giving them the stuff He wants them to know when He is gone. Because he sees the writing on the wall. He sees that he's, gonna be, he's not going to be with them. He sees that his passion, death, and resurrection is coming up. He's giving them the, the encouragement to follow him in it. And in three, four, five chapters, they're all going to bail on him. They're all going to run. They've been given three years of formation following Jesus. They've been able to walk foot in foot with the Son of God. They've been able to hear Him teach them one-on-one the mysteries of the faith. And when it comes to His arrest, they bury it. Judas buries it. Peter buries it. The only one that doesn't is John. But all of them, they've received so much and they bury it because of fear. We think about this in our life, in our world today. We have, by virtue of our baptism, every single one of us, the day that we were baptized, were given everything that we need. We were given all of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The entire Holy Spirit is with us and in us right now. When the, when the priest poured the water, priest and deacon poured water over our head. We were, given, we were given the presence of God living within us, which is much more than five million dollars. We, we were given a place in heaven on the day of our baptism. But so often, out of fear, we bury it. So often, out of fear, we hide it. We stuff it. We keep it out of sight. Like I think, think about it, I, I know there are points in my life that I know for a fact there are points in my life that, that people were talking about something with the church. People were talking about something with the priest. People were talking about something with God. I knew the answer, and I was quiet. I was complacent. That I made a point not to let them know, not to correct their error, because I didn't want to look too Jesus-y. Because I, I didn't want to be one of those people. I don't want to be one of them radical Christians. I know there are times in my life, and if you, if you haven't had it yet, two weeks is Thanksgiving, it's going to happen at the table, I guarantee you, that there are times that somebody says something that's wrong. And I, I, I didn't speak up on behalf of the, the person that was weak, or the person that was being criticized, or try to, try to change the subject from the gossip, because it was, it was easier just to stuff it. 
And it was my own fear that, that, that made me hide it. See, I think there's a, there's a very, very real thing in this, third, in this third servant's life that the rest of the world is, a, is imposing a fear on him. That if he is too sold out for his master, if he does his job too much for his master, and his master doesn't come back, it's going to cost him. That his master, that the person he represents, he's trying to distance himself be out of fear of what other people might think. On the day of our baptism, we were given a master. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is within us, whether we want it to be or not. And sometimes it's easier to try and distance ourselves from that master. Because, hey, we don't see him. And he might not be with us right now. I don't see him very, I don't see him very clearly in the world around me. The other thing I think that, the, the, the other part of fear, the other fear that I think comes up, in the heart of this third servant, there's, there's the second fear, and I think it's a little bit more subtle, it's in his response of why he didn't invest the money, why he didn't do something with the money, why he buried it. And he said, he says to the master, he says, Master, I know that you are a demanding man, that you're a thief, that you go around and you, you take money that's not, you, you take stuff that's not yours, that you're a thief, that you're dishonest, and that you're harsh. I know these things about you, and that's why I was afraid. He's calling this man who is his master, bear with me, he's calling this man who is his master harsh and not generous and, and, and rough and a thief. Dishonest. But, he, but the master at the beginning of the story hands out eight, 160 years of wages to his three. I don't know about you, but I hear that and I'm like, something doesn't make sense. What he's doing is different than what this guy is explaining. And I think what it's coming from is that the second fear is that the servant doesn't know his master. The servant doesn't know his master. And he sees his master as a judge. He sees his master as demanding. He sees his master as harsh. How often do we throw those things on a God? How often, whenever we look at God, is it, you know what, you gave us the Ten Commandments and thou shalt not, so I don't. You told me that I have to do these things. Go to church on Sunday, to go to confession once a year. i got to do these things, so it's my duty and I'm going to go and do it. And that's the most personal we get with our relationship with God. The joke, the, the old joke that we used to have, that we hear about a lot of times at the church is, you just have to pray, pay, and obey, and you're fine. But that's not, that's not what God envisioned when He established His church. That's not what God envisioned at our baptism when He said, I adopt you as my child. But so often, the image that we have of God is that He's demanding, or He's harsh, or He's unfair. You see, when we come to Mass, we, we're coming to, in relationship with a God. We're coming to see God face to face for a moment. And a lot of times, when we, when we think about this, our faith, it's much more of a love of a person and a lot less of following the rules of a tyrant. What is it that motivates us in our faith? Is it fear? Because if it's fear... 
we're going to have a tendency to stuff and to hide and to bury our faith. But if our motivation for our faith is out of love for our God, out of love for the living God, out of love for Jesus Christ, then we're going to live it loudly and proudly. <laughs> and we are going to live our faith with a, with a, with a zeal and a vigor that, that becomes infectious to the people around us. You see, each one of us is called by name by God. Each one of us have been claimed in our baptism by the living God. He's blessed each one of us with His blessings. He's given us so much. And all He asks us to do is to cultivate the corner of the world that He has given us. Your family is your corner of the world. The people you come in contact at work, with at work or at school are your corner of the world to witness to. To be God's light. To be His presence in. But so often, out of fear, we bury it. Because we don't know Him or we're afraid of what they might say. Today, as we come to be strengthened by our Lord, to be strengthened by His presence, to receive Him in communion, to see Him face to face, and to be in relationship with Him, may this Mass allow us to fall deeper in love with God. May this, may, may this celebration of the Eucharist be exactly that, a celebration where we fall in love with God, where we have a foretaste of the heaven we're going to. So that even if our Master is delayed in coming back, we don't have to fear. That out of love for Him, we still live our life and, and, and cultivate and produce all that He has asked us to. That we take advantage of all the things that He has given us in, in reflecting it out to the world around us. May we not be afraid and take our faith and stuff it or hide it or bury it. But may we be bold in our proclamation of the Gospel. May we believe that in baptism we were adopted and that the Holy Spirit lives in me just as it lives in you. Now we could look a little bit more like Jesus as we help to cultivate the world around us.